Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Well, good evening, everyone. It is good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, and um, we're very uh, happy to be looking forward to our soon gathering together in person in our sanctuary. Uh, I know we had a soft opening this last Sunday, and this upcoming Sunday we're going to have a great gathering as we celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Uh, but tonight, I, I'm so glad that you've tuned in to um, spend a little time with us. Uh, I want to thank you for being faithful. I really want to uh, also glorify God tonight for his faithfulness to us. And uh, before I share some thoughts that I have with you tonight, I, I would like to go to the Lord in prayer and ask his presence uh, into your living room or wherever you're listening to this, your car or wherever, uh, and that you could feel uh, his presence and that he would anoint your mind to receive the word of God and not just the word but the message that he's trying to convey to the church's heart uh, this evening. Lord, as we are in this place, we know, Lord, that you are with us. You've told us that you'd never leave us. You'd never forsake us. You said, lo, you'd be with us always. And sometimes that's hard to comprehend, Lord, when we feel alone and the place that we're inhabiting is so desolate. I know tonight that there are probably going to be some people that are listening to me, the sound of my voice or saying me, that are going through a very difficult time. And there it may be financially, it may be spiritually. Whatever the cause, Lord, I pray that the wind of your spirit would blow into the room or wherever they're at and they could feel that anointing love that you have for them and the commitment that you want to make with them and the place that you'd like to take them to. So tonight I pray that you would anoint my mind, let my eyes see what they would not normally see. Let my ear be attentive to that spiritual voice that would speak to me. And let my tongue be as your tongue and speak through me, Lord, to those that are hungry for a message, for guidance, for truth. We ask all these things in your precious name, that lovely name of Jesus. Amen. Um, some of you probably, if you've listened to some of my message over the last several months, have probably saw me following a certain uh, course or uh, frame of mind. And I guess tonight I'm going to continue to follow that course. I, I'm very excited to uh, announce you know, over the last several years that I embarked on a journey. Uh, I've finally finished the book. It's been edited and it's going for formatting and for publication. And it just happened this week. And I'm not, this isn't a publication, but it'll help you understand why I'm preaching in the manner that I am. The title of the book is Looking Beyond Fear. And uh, this last Sunday in church, uh, we had a tongues and interpretation come in. And some of the words that were spoken in that interpretation were, your faith has to be greater than your fear. And um, we're all going to experience fear. But I want to remind you that my Bible says that God has given every man a measure of faith. God has equipped you with what you need to overcome that spirit of fear that'll come upon you. And every one of us, and anyone that would deny they've never felt fear is really probably denying that they're even alive because fear is a part of our life. I, I want to share a little story uh, as I start. Years ago when I pastored in Two Rivers, I... I had a strange thing happen to me one evening while I was walking, and I, like my brother, I love to walk, and I love to pray and walk. And this evening, I was out there walking the streets of Two Rivers, and I'm a pretty inquisitive guy, and as I, as I was walking, I happened to glance at the door of the, one of the townhouses I was, I was passing by. And it had a screen door, 
in glass above it, if you can picture it, but only really half a screen on it. And I, I saw this, this hairy thing there. It was vaguely visible through the screen, but it was so big and it was so hairy that I stopped and, and turned and looked at the door and I tried to figure out what kind of a dog could be so big and so hairy. Then, as I was staring at it, a rough, very rough voice called out from beyond the screen, and in a rough voice said to me, what are you looking at? <laughs> I quickly closed my mouth, lest I utter what I thought I was looking at, which would not have been wise to do, because the man that had been sitting on the floor looking out the screen, now I saw, I saw the complete picture. Initially, I only saw his long hair and his long beard, couldn't really perceive his face, but now I saw the whole man. And I, I, I sort of apologized and moved on. And the reason I tell you that story tonight is things aren't always as they appear. What you may be perceiving in front of you may not be the thing that you think it is. And so tonight, I, I want to look at that principle and look at the things that the world is experiencing, you are experiencing, and let's challenge ourselves to try to understand what it really is. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a very wise, very committed, very learned man, of course, but he was also extremely hated by the Jews for his conversion to Christianity. And the Jews, and later on in his life, the Romans, went to great extent to persecute him, not just verbally, but physically. But he had, through time, he had learned principles that he tried to engraft in the churches that he established in the New Testament. He was trying to put his experience into the hearts of new believers. And when I'm reading from 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. I'll be reading verse 7 to 10. Paul writes these words. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but... We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Now, the great question of the ages is, why do the righteous suffer? Well, there's a very good reason for that, and one of those reasons is encompassed in this last verse that I just read. Let me read it again. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies, or what Paul is saying, through our suffering. The life of Christ is revealed through our suffering. That's why, and we're going to read this later, Paul tries to tell you, don't think it strange, those fiery trials, because the fiery trials of our faith allow the glory of God to be revealed through us. And then in verse 16, Paul goes on to say, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, 
Our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. There is a profit, Paul is saying, that outweighs the price of suffering. And then in verse 18, so we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now, listen, will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Many times in our life we have to look beyond our suffering to grasp the extent of the terrible events that confront us. What profit comes through suffering? Sometimes our misconceptions of danger, they radically affect our decision process. I want to tell you another story and this one involves my brother and I just love telling stories about my brother. But this is a good story. Um, when we were children, uh, we had the whole family together on a, a particular day. We were driving in southwestern Wisconsin. I can even remember that old blue station wagon that my dad had at that time. And I, I think Linda and myself and Rick and mom and dad were in the car and we're driving through uh, the area of Boscobel, Wisconsin. And I, I, I believe my brother will remember the story because it was a pretty radical thing that happened. And as we were, we were traveling, the car in front of us began to swerve from side to side all over the road. Then it lost control, went over the side of the road, and in southwestern Wisconsin, it's a rather hilly place, and went down a steep slope and into a ditch to an abrupt halt. We could see over the side of this slope, and I remember with my brother watching the lady that was in the car screaming and waving her arms frantically and screaming just so loudly, B, B. There was a bee in the car, and no doubt that little pest had blown in through her window as she was driving down the highway. That fear of that little insect nearly cost her her life. Have you ever thought about what the bee felt? <laughs> He's just minding his own business, going from flower to flower, and all of a sudden gets sucked into a car, and a lady is screaming at him for doing nothing, and nearly kills him with her driving. I, I've learned that if you leave bees alone, they'll leave you alone. But going back to our story, sometimes we have to control our actions in the midst of our fear if we expect to survive. A decision made under the influence of fear will oftentimes be a misguided decision and will lead to calamity. Fear, the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind. So if I take that first and say, I am operating under the influence, O-U-I, O-W-I, I don't have good judgment because I'm not operating under a sound mind. But faith allows me to operate rationally. Faith causes me to make poor decisions. Now we're all going to have times on the road of life where things are going to blow into our window and cause us to panic. And friend, that, that maybe has happened to you already. But you have to train yourself to keep your focus upon the road. You must control 
your actions. Now, one of my favorite chapters, and I'd assume that this is a, a favorite of you or yours as well, it's called the, the chapter of faith, the heroes of our faith, Hebrews 11. It's, it's, it's a chapter that is filled with acts of heroism, of faith, by, by believers in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament alike. Many of these people that are talked about had to make decisions in the midst of terrible and horrendous situations that were challenging their faith. And remember, when I started tonight, I shared that message that we received on Sunday. Your faith must always be greater than your fear. Now, I do not think I have ever met a person in my life that has not experienced fear in some form or fashion. All of us are, are experienced with it. And um, when I was a youngster, I, I guess I, I, was, I wasn't looking like I do now, that's for sure. I, I was a 150-pound kid at 18 years old, and I was agile, and I, I was athletic, and I could run for miles, and... I love to do things, and one of the things I liked as a small child was I loved to climb trees. And I remember in back of the church in Oak Creek, in back of Park, what is now called Parkway, uh, the old oak tree that I had climbed, it was just a huge tree. It, um, I'm trying to think of Remember the Robinson family and Robinson Crusoe, the tree that they lived in? Well, it was a tree just like that. And I would climb up in that tree to the highest branches until one day I slipped and fell from the tree. And I was by myself and I had the wind knocked out of me. I was laying on the ground and I could not breathe and it was a terrible, terrible feeling. Now that one incident that I experienced had a lasting effect on the rest of my life. I never had a, a fear of heights until after that fall. But today, I, I, you, to try to get me up on a roof or even looking over my loft in our Cape Cod home, I get a little queasy looking from heights down. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. When I was 16... I got a job helping a landscaper during the summer. Well, at times he'd branch out from landscaping and he would do tree removal and tree trimming. Um, I could help with the groundwork, but one day he needed someone to climb up a tree to cut off some branches. And what he tried to do to get me to do it is he made fun of me and he harassed me and called me names and eventually he forced me to climb the tree. I'd like to tell you tonight that I was about 40 feet up in the air when I became overwhelmed, but really in truth it was probably only about 10 feet up. And I, I was so terrified when I looked down that I grabbed the limb that I was on and I wrapped my arms around the limb and held on with all my might. And I remember looking down, I remember his name was Ray. I was completely paralyzed with fear. And I yelled down to Ray, telling him that he better find a way to get me down because I was not moving. I could not move. I was paralyzed with fear because of something that had happened when I was a child. It was infecting my whole life. I did come down from the tree, otherwise I'd still be up there, I guess. And um, they told me, you know, you just got to grab one limb at a, at a time and you're going to have to come down. Now, I believe that in Christianity, the same thing happened. Something happened in your life that all of a sudden you developed a fear. You, were, you lost control over a situation uh, you fell, you hurt yourself, and now it's hard to get up and, and face it again. Now, when we go back to Hebrews 11, these people 
are no different than we are. Those people mentioned in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, they were not superhuman. God didn't give them something that he didn't give us. We're all made of the same flesh, all with the same blood. But the thing that they had that gave them the power to overcome the hardships and become heroes of the faith was their faith and belief in a powerful God that would help them through or lift them above their circumstances. Each one of these individuals had three things that were in common. God had given them each a promise. He gave each of them something to strive for, something to live for, but then he also gave them something to hold on to. In my walk for God, God has given me a promise. He has given me a goal And he's given me a purpose. And as long as I hold on to those three elements in my walk for God, I will overcome fear. Not everyone suffered the same struggle. And even in our own church here, not everyone faces the same struggle. But we all face the same demon of fear and disappointment. The one thing that that I find impressive about Hebrews 11, and we're gonna read some of that in just a moment, some of them went through these hardships but never really did receive the promise that God had given, but they fought to the end. Let's read from Hebrews 11, verse 13. Now all these people died still believing what God had promised them. Hey, do you see that? I like the way it's worded. They all died and they still believed, even though their life was taken, they still believed the promises that they were given. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking for a country they can call their own. Now, if they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Their focus wasn't on the temporal, but their focus was on the eternal. Verse 33, by faith these people overthrew kingdoms, they ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, they they quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Oh, but others, others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning, some were sawed in half, and others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed, mistreated. They were too good for this world wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. 
yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God has something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Now, when I'm looking at these people, most all of them were coming from the Old Testament. The one thing that God has given us that was not necessarily in the arsenal of the Old Testament church is God now lives inside of us. Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will come unto you. At that day, in John 14, he says, you shall know that I am in the Father, ye in me, and I in you. In other words, the life I live now, I live through Christ because Christ is living through me because he lives inside of me. Let me show you another picture here. Acts, the fifth chapter. This, this, this story plays out in a very distinct way. Uh, these early church members, the apostles, were preaching and performing miracles, and the Jewish council uh, didn't know what to do with them. You know, the world really doesn't know what to do with the church. How can you deny the miraculous things that are taking place? How could they deny the man that was healed outside the temple? And that's why they were before the council, because they were turning the world upside down through their actions, through the ministry that Christ was performing through their hands. Now, the Jewish council in Acts 5 orders them to stop teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus. Now, as Gentiles, we may not understand the, the real power in the Hebrew and in the, the Greek of the name Jesus. God is salvation. The Lord has become my salvation. Jehovah is my salvation. Every time we mention the name to those that understand its meaning, it tells the world that God is our salvation. God is our hope. He's given us faith. Don't use the name. We don't want you to tell us that God is your hope and salvation. Now, at the conclusion of the meeting, they were beaten and sent on their way. Not much to be happy about here, you might say. But they are looking at something you may not be looking at in your situation or your trial right now. They saw their lives next to Jesus. Just like Paul said, they were allowing Christ's suffering to to live through their life. They saw his beating. They saw his rejection. And they rejoiced that they could partake in his suffering. Think about that. To partake in his suffering. Now, in Acts 5.41, notice how Luke words this. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. I, I, I know that they call us the people of the name, and I'm glad to be called the people of the name. I'm glad I bear that distinction because every knee and every tongue, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord and that whatever we do in word or in deed, we must all do in the name of Jesus. Jesus is the most powerful name because it represents the most powerful God. And they rejoiced that they were willing to suffer for his name. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever rejoiced in your sufferings for Christ? I'm not talking about you did something wrong and got penalized. It was your fault. But have you ever had a chance to rejoice in the sufferings of Christ? These, these disciples, they felt honored to take part in the suffering. 
For they realized that if they took part in his death, they would also take part in his resurrection. Notice in Romans, or in 1 Peter 4, verse 12 through 15. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Rejoice. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So is there profit in suffering? According to the word of God, suffering that we share for the name of Jesus will bring about joy when we're able to share in his glory when it's revealed to the world. You know, let me, let me try to make that a little bit more clear. Romans, the sixth chapter, verse five. Paul says this to the Roman church. For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Likeness of suffering, likeness of death, likeness of resurrection. This last Tuesday, I reached a landmark for this year. I finished my Bible reading for the year and uh, it left a lasting impression on me like it always does. I read the chronological Bible this last year. And of course, we, we wrapped up in the book of Revelation, which is an amazing book. Um, the way it was designed in the chronological Bible, uh, you read the entire book of Revelation within two to three days. So that's, that's a lot to digest in a very short period of time. Um, the book of Revelation, uh, it shows the beauty of heaven and the devastation that's coming upon the face of the earth for sin. Reading it in the manner that I did and at the pace that I read it reminded me of what lies ahead for this world that we're living in. And you know, friend, we, we have to understand that we're living in the last days. We need to pull our heads out of the, the prosperity doctrine and understand that the things that we are seeing are groaning and travailing, waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of the church's body. In other words, the world is, is responding to the times of prophecy more than sometimes the people of God because their focus is misaligned. But it's not going to stop the judgment judgments and plagues that are going to affect all humanity and the very foundation of all that the world knows. The thing that stands out in the book of Revelation is the magnitude of death that comes out um, from its pages against the, seed, the seeds of sin and how sin fights against righteousness and purity but God is fighting against evil. Now, if you were to try to compare what is about to happen with what is happening, there is no comparison. In the world today, for instance, we're all really familiar with this last struggle that we've had with COVID-19, how we've seen how the entire earth has been affected by a virus. And I'm not going to talk a lot about it tonight, but I want to make... I want to make a relationship between this dilemma, this pandemic, and the pandemics that are just around the corner, maybe months or just a few years down the line. As of May 25th, this year, 2020, 348,352 people have died worldwide. That has shut down the world's economy and caused humanity to isolate itself from each other. Quarantined to homes, businesses shut down, travel uh, has been hindered. 
financial, tremendous financial loss. Now, if I look in comparison today to the book of Revelation, in the first seven or eight chapters, I find that two-thirds of the world's population will be destroyed. That's not counting the battle of Armageddon that takes place later in the book when the Lord comes back with his saints. Now, the current population of this world, as of this moment, according to Google, uh, is 7.594 billion people. Now, two-thirds of that number, roughly, is 5 billion. It's hard to even compare 350,000 deaths to 7.5 billion deaths. I, to try to understand that and to bring it into a frame of mind that I could see it, I tried to f- picture Lambeau Field when it was full. And if I were to take two-thirds of all those that were in the stadium and they were to die and only one-third was left, that would give me an idea of what the global impact would be upon the face of the earth in just a seven-year period. All these things in seven years. I, I was reminded as I read that book that the plagues upon the earth would so, be so overwhelming that people would seek to die but would be unable to. They would call for the mountains to fall the, upon them to hide them from the face of God. Not only when you look at the devastation of plant life that two-thirds of the trees and of living green life is destroyed, but when you look at the earth Uh, The the earth's water sources, the oceans polluted by wormwood. And you look at all these things taking place and then the creatures released from the bottomless pit that are like uh, scorpions and hornets that fly around and torment men by their stings for a period of time. All of a sudden, the crisis that we find ourselves in in 2020 is not nearly as significant. Let me sort of wrap this up. So what are you looking at today? What is going on? Did you hit a small bump in the road? That's really what it is compared to what's about to come upon the face of the earth if we were to try to put them alongside each other. Yet as a church, we find ourselves speeding down the highway of time towards the devastation and judgment of God. And you know what we're doing? We're swatting at flies and ignoring our own souls. Now, that sounds harsh, but I think the church of Laodicea was much like the modern church today. They felt that they had increased in goods and wealth and that they had achieved great, great results in the world. But the Lord spoke to John and he said, tell them they're nothing but poor and naked. It isn't the magnificence of a sanctuary. It's not how much land we possess. It's about souls. I truly do believe that God has not appointed his church, the bride of Christ, unto wrath. I do not believe and I do not preach that the the church is going to go through the tribulation period. Now you say, well, how how do you justify that, Brother Steve? Let's look in 1 Thessalonians 5. But let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet of, as, an, as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath. <laughs> the tribulation period is God's wrath poured out upon the earth globally. 
Now I'll finish that. For God did not appoint us unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Now John, the apostle John, speaks of one thing holding back the flood of evil that is prophesied to come upon the face of the earth during the tribulation period. He talks about it. And he says this in 1 John, the second chapter, verse three. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped, so that he sits as God in the temple, showing himself that he is God. We're talking about the Antichrist mentioned in the book of Revelation. And then John goes on to say in verse five, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now listen to what I say next. And now you know what is restraining that he, or the Antichrist, before that Antichrist may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, I want to stop, and I want you to focus there on the pronoun he. This he that John is talking about is the thing that is restraining the Antichrist that is on the earth. This he is going to be taken out of the way and that's going to allow the floodgate of evil to sweep into this timeline of history and allow the tribulation to begin. I believe the word that he is the church. The he is the masculine sense. When the church is referred to in the feminine as the bride of Christ, it talks about her purity. When the church is referred to in its masculine sense, now are we the sons of God, or the he who is now letting, it's referring to a church that is powerful and able to restrain. But John is saying that he which is restraining, is about to be taken out of the way and then the wickedness shall be revealed. Now, I I really hope that I haven't put a damper on your mood tonight, but let me refocus your attention. I do not want you to forget what God has warned us of by any means. He wants us to be aware of what is coming upon the face of the earth. He wants us to realize the importance of the time that we have left and how it is time critical for us to be actively evangelizing and reaching out to the world, pulling them, as it were, from the fire of judgment itself. I want you to look with me to the admonitions of Christ as we see through his eyes that true bond of blood that holds the church together. The thing that, that we have in the body of Christ that binds us together is not only faith and love, but it is a bond of blood. It's blood that came through and forth from suffering and sacrifice That's the bond that holds us together. The bond of suffering, the bond of death, the bond of commitment. Now, when Jesus was trying to to warn the disciples of the things that I'm talking about tonight, he, he gave them an example that they could refer to so that they could compare it to the end time. He speaks uh, in Matthew 24. In the beginning of that chapter, he's talking to his disciples about uh, the, the end times, the coming of the day of the Lord. 
And in verse six, he says these things. But of that day and hour knows no one, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But notice this. This is what he says. And there's a reason that he gives this story, this true story. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. Now, I, I know when the Lord was speaking to us about salvation, I'm gonna back, backtrack for just a moment. He said when it came, it came to our salvation that we should allow in the act of our own salvation the element of fear. Oh, you say, no, 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 it's all faith. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, I don't believe that fear is is the fear of the enemy or the fear of darkness. It's a healthy admonition to myself of the terrible things that are coming upon humanity through the act of its own sin. I've got to make sure that my salvation is sure and that my heart is aligned with God's heart and my sins have been remitted because no sin shall enter into heaven. Every sin must be washed away. Make sure, the Bible says, that you do it with great respect and be very detailed and precise because when the trumpet sounds or you draw your blast breath, you will not be able to change. So do it right the first time. Let me ask you a question tonight. What was Noah's life like before he entered the ark? Did people respect him? Do you think he received support from the community that he lived in? Or do you really think that they just mocked him and they called him a lunatic? Bible calls him a preacher of righteousness. He was a preacher of righteousness in the most wicked time in the world's history, besides our own. That world that Noah lived in was so exceedingly evil that God could not even allow it to exist. He regretted that he even made the earth when he saw the sin and the wickedness that was present at the time of Noah. Do you think that Noah's life Was a walk in the park? I don't think so. And I know your life here on this earth is not easy because evil has its influences on you just like it did on Noah. What you do need to know is what Noah knew. He preached the message without respect for fear or favor. He preached the message of universal judgment. Stop. I'm stopping there, period. What did he preach? He preached that sin was rampant and God was going to judge the earth and the only way that man could be saved was to come into the ark that he was building. There were no other other philosophies nor there were no other ways of escape He used the end time judgment of God to try to persuade these people to change. 
And he tried to emphasize in his ministry that God was telling them this. He was warning them now because he loved them and he did not want them to die in his wrath. To those of you that are listening tonight and you feel that God is, is mean, that he would, he would kill two-thirds of the world and he would pour his wrath upon humanity, God is reaching out to you tonight in love and compassion, saying you don't have to face his wrath if you'll take his hand of love. It is man that has determined to walk into the fire of God's wrath. It's man's choice to disobey God. It's man's choice to turn his back on the loving arms of God and walk into a lost eternity. It is not about God's being wicked. It's about man's pride and man's desire to do evil. Noah put his trust in the ark that God had gave him to build. He trusted the blueprint that God gave him. He knew the flood was coming. He knew it was going to be a global event and he knew it was going to be such a powerful event that everyone would die except those in the ark. But he trusted in the ark that he was building because he knew he built it after the plan of God. You know, I I feel just that way. I truly believe that the judgment's coming. I, I truly believe that what Revelation said is true and that the blood is going to flow as high as a horse's bridle in a place called Megiddo outside of Jerusalem in the valley of Megiddo. And I truly believe that what the prophecies mentioned in the Old Testament concerning that judgment that's coming upon the face of the earth is is about here. But I also trust in the ark and the, the knowledge that God has given me a choice to escape it and to come into an ark that he's prepared for me so that I can rise above the judgment The Bible says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The righteous run to it and are safe. Now, let me play with words for just a moment. If the righteous run to it and are safe, what do the unrighteous do? They run away from it. And God has come against all unrighteousness. It's your choice where you run. When the flood was about to be released upon the earth and the end of humanity loomed on the horizon, where did God tell Noah to go? He told him to go into the ark where he would ride about the judgment. Let me ask you a question. How many of Noah's family died during the flood? How many of the people that entered into the ark died in the judgment? Of course, we know not one died in that judgment because they went into the ark of God. Now, God has a place on earth tonight for those to escape the wrath of God that is coming upon the earth. It is called the church. I'm not talking about the United Pentecostal Church. I'm not talking about any of the denominations. I'm talking about the central, born-again, blood-washed, name-called, one God, Church of Jesus Christ that incorporates all tongues and languages from one end of the earth to the other. He has a ark that is prepared for you. Even if you're born again, I want to remind you that the Lord is coming for them that are looking for his appearance. 
And if you're not looking, if you're not paying attention, you're going to be like that man in Matthew 24 that when the thief broke into his house, he was unaware and he, he lost those things that he, he possessed. Now, again, and I am finishing up. Noah was alive when he entered into the place of safety, just as the church will be alive when it's taken up into heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, what I'm talking about here, and I want to show you something maybe you've never seen before. I'm talking about every person that has lived during the church age, this dispensation of grace that took part after the ascension and resurrection of Christ. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. We need to encourage one another with these words. Hope, deliverance, the rising above the wrath of God. From the apostles till now, we've all been working on the ark. Some have died already. They've died before it's been completed, but that does not mean that God is going to leave them here when he comes back to bring his church home. He's going to gather those who have died along with those that are alive, and they're going to rise together there is no one left behind. You know, it used to think that that might have came forth from the Marines, that no man's left behind. God leaves none of his church behind. When that trumpet sounds, every believer that was born of water and spirit and blood washed will be caught up together with the Lord in the air. Not one left behind because God promised so are the flies bothering you the little flies of torment just let those flies remind you of what's ahead and I want you to make sure that your life is on the road to eternal life and the new Jerusalem and in closing tonight I had something happen this last Saturday. This has had a really lasting effect on me, this year's Bible reading. And the thing that's really affected me is that I've forgotten to, like when I was first initially brought to Christ to be watching the clouds, to be keenfully aware of the coming of the Lord Last Saturday afternoon in Eagle, we had a, a pretty heavy thunderstorm. It wasn't real windy, but a heavy amount of rain. I had been reading or watching something on YouTube about the Ark of the Covenant. And when I looked to my left, uh, the sun had just started to peek out. I saw this most beautiful double rainbow. And... I was amazed at the clarity. I'd never seen a rainbow that was so bright. And under the rainbow, the sky was completely a different color than what was above the rainbow. I immediately called for my wife. I pulled her out of the house and I said, honey, you gotta see this. And we, we both stood there on the porch. It, the rainbow was only probably about four, a quarter of a mile away because you could see that it was blocking the trees. It was right in front of us. And I said, honey, I feel like this is the gate of heaven. 
that the rainbow is something that I'll pass through in my, in, in my, my, my journey to eternity. Wouldn't that be great if right now God would blow the trumpet and we could walk through that rainbow into the arms of God? And it was such a moving experience that me and my wife stood there on our, our porch and prayed and, and thanked God and pleaded with him to make sure that help us to be ready for him when he came back, help us to be looking and watching. And friend, that's my whole message tonight. Stop being so concerned about the temporal things. Start being concerned about the eternal things. And remember that God leaves no one of his children behind. Well, I would just like to pray a prayer tonight. In closing, Lord Jesus, the people that are listening tonight might be a pretty diverse group. I know our church people are here and listening. But Lord, I want to thank you for allowing each one of us a chance to hear this message before the day came. That we were made aware through someone's preaching, through someone's teaching, and through your word of God, the word of God, about your love, your sacrifice for us. Thank you for showing me in your word, Lord, that you wanted me to identify my life with your life so that I could reap the benefit of your suffering through your resurrection. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.